as was mentioned already, how delightful it is to be able to come together this Lord's Day afternoon to appreciate the marvelous and so many blessings that we have been blessed with this day and to be able to assemble on this occasion for the opportunity and the privilege of worship. It's our delight to not only, of course, welcome our membership, but the host of visitors also at any time that we're able to welcome them. And tonight, we are blessed with visitors, as Brother Lester mentioned earlier. It certainly would also be an appropriate thing to do as we begin this lesson tonight on the Revelation. Because as we have begun a series on our Sunday evening lessons to discuss the book of Revelation, to encourage our youngsters, our participants who themselves are studying, that this would be a fair time to in fact compliment them and in fact all who have invested their effort and their time in the preparation and the study of the Revelation. We have those who have prepared questions and parents who are working with their, their children, their youngsters, and also teachers, Trail and Adam, Jeff and others who are in fact assisting as they meet at various times to study the Word of God. What a commendable exercise and certainly the church, the eldership appreciates the efforts of each one and maybe we each can become better acquainted with and better students of that 66th and last book in the Bible. Throughout these first few lessons, the first three lessons, in fact, of our series of studies, we have, in fact, given thought to chapters 1, 2, and 3. And as we have done that in each instance, it has been our interest to focus upon the actual statements of the text and to use them to help us not only understand that better, but of course to gain a deeper feeling for and a deeper set of lessons also for ourselves. Here are some thoughts, very brief indeed, but thoughts about some of that which we have learned already. We have learned, in fact, specifically about those earlier lessons that chapter 1 described for us the nature of the one giving this revelation. And chapters 2 and 3 highlighted specific brief letters to those seven churches in Asia. As they were listed, there was Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos, and then Thyatira and Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. And in each instance, the Lord had some very direct and often penetrating truths, often admonishing them to repent, urging them what would befall them if they did not repent, and always urging them to, of course, be faithful with regard to that which ought to have been their center of service unto God. We also noticed in light of all of that, that that does bring us to chapters 4 through 11, the next major section in the book of Revelation, centering around the seven-sealed book. And as this particular book, the seals thereof are loosed, and one by one the things contained therein are it set forth, it's going to take a number of chapters before ultimately all of that shall come to, to fruition. In fact, it will take until the close of chapter 11 before all seven of the seals are in fact loosed and some things about each of them are in fact revealed. Tonight our focus will be only chapters 4 and 5. Chapter 5 and chapter 4 together make such a beautiful and harmonious truth. And so this evening we will briefly look at those two together highlighting, of course, not only that which is in the text itself, but seeking to extract a lesson or two that can help us be better servants to our God of heaven even in this day. The center subject of praise will often come before us in these two chapters. Praise to the God the Father, praise to the Lord Jesus Christ, the praise that redounds in the halls of heaven, if you will. And as we look at the majestic way that praise rings forth, perhaps it will help us appreciate the grandeur of the ability that's ours to praise God. 
with that said, why don't we look then beginning in chapter number 4 this evening. Here are some brief notes about the nature of that somewhat short chapter. But in Revelation, the fourth chapter, we in fact encounter the following. Let's of course read the chapter. It is a rather brief one. And then we'll note some of these brief comments about it and also some other thoughts that may flow from it. Revelation chapter number 4. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. And one sat on the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was set, I'm sorry, there was a sea of glass, like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four living creatures full of eyes before and behind. And the first creature was like a lion, and the second like a calf, and the third had the face as a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. And the four creatures had each of them six wings about them, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those Creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever. The four and twenty elders fall down before Him that sat on the throne and worship Him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created." It is a rather amazing scene that's just been placed before us. Here are some, again, brief summary remarks, and let's look at them one at a time and accompany them with some pictures at the appropriate times in our study this evening. For instance, we begin immediately by noticing that John, in verse number 1, saw a door opened in heaven. As this door was opened, we immediately appreciate the thoroughness and completeness of that which was to be revealed to him. Ultimately, we understand that if God were not to open and reveal to us that which emanates from heaven, you and I would never be able to appreciate it. Because Isaiah 55 reminds us His ways and His thoughts are far above ours. But yet John was privileged. A door was opened in heaven. And he was to have access to these marvelous and beautiful things that were now about to transpire. In fact, following in that, Back to our previous slide. With the door open, what did John see as he peered through the character on that occasion? First of all, he heard a voice and an invitation, Come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Immediately that takes us back to Revelation 1 verse 19, on which time John was told, Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. 
what was now about to be revealed to the apostle were things that was to be hereafter, and he would proceed to record them so that you and I would be able to see that which also he saw. As he looked, he saw a throne set in heaven, and one was sitting on the throne. And this one, as described in verse number 3, this one to look upon was as a jasper and a sardine stone, also known as a carnelian. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, and in sight like unto an emerald. As John witnessed and saw this, immediately you and I can appreciate one of the lessons that would come to us, the character of the significance of that rainbow, reminding us of the first occurrence of such in the ninth chapter of the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. There, as Noah had come forth from the ark, and the rainbow God had placed in the cloud as an assurance and as a promise that never again would the earth be overrun with water like it just had been in His day. And isn't it true that God has ever been true and faithful to that promise? As John saw this open door in heaven, to see that rainbow would remind us all of us, including he, that God is always true and faithful to His promise. And what He promised to these individuals to whom the book of Revelation was written was certain to come to pass and certain to come true just as surely as God had revealed it. And so when God promised relief and ultimate victory and ultimate triumph over all the forces of Satan and of evil for those that were faithful, they could rest assured that such would come to pass. Is it any wonder that in Romans 8.18, a passage also that sounds greatly with beautiful victory and triumph, I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And with a statement like that, when John sees other things, in addition to this throne, immediately we notice he saw 24 thrones also surrounding the central throne, and 24 elders were in fact resting or sitting upon those thrones. Immediately as we give thought to that near the bottom of that slide, we notice that these elders were clothed in white, and they had crowns of gold upon their heads. We can immediately understand the nature of the essence of purity that went along with them, the thought of the jurisdiction, of course, that was theirs, and the thought of the blessing that was theirs to be in presence around the central throne of this one who had just been described. It was an amazing scene, wasn't it, that John here was witnessing. Beyond all of that, we easily notice that there were lightnings as well as thunderings as well as voices that came out of that throne. Now that wasn't all, of course, that we see in this chapter 4. We looked at this picture just a moment ago. But you'll also notice even beyond that, here is yet another picture. One that attempts to give us at least some impression of what this might have looked like. Again, this is surely just the work of a modern day artist. But you can see a central throne and there are lightnings as well as thunders proceeding from it. We can also appreciate the array of thrones around it. But in addition to that, we also notice there were other creatures, four of them to be exact, also in position, and it's now time for us to give some impression of them as well. As we give thought to these creatures and the amazing character of this scene, we might notice that there might be some who would make the claim John must have been hallucinating to see such, but that is not true. 
The door was opened in heaven, and this is what John was blessed to perceive, and what he was blessed to see, and what you and I are blessed as a result of his writing what he saw. As you give thought to that, there are more features to which we'll return in just a moment. We also notice in verse number 5 of this chapter that we also see that there are seven lamps of fire burning before the throne and we're reminded that they are the seven spirits of God. And before that throne, verse number 6, we read about a sea of glass like unto crystal and in the midst of it and round about it were four living creatures. Unusual creatures to say the least, but living creatures also pictured in that previous slide that we had just seen. The first one, verse number 7, reminds us was like a lion. The second one, also same verse, like a calf. Third one, same verse, had the face of a man, as of a man, and the fourth one was like a flying eagle. Also, in part, these are borrowed from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, when in chapter 7, he too had a set of visions that included things that would be reminiscent of these creatures that here we see that John saw. As we continue our study, we shall find much parallel discussion between the Daniel, book of Daniel and the Old Testament and in fact some of the scenes of the Revelation. As we imagine those scenes continuing, you'll notice furthermore, each one of these creatures had six wings and also they had eyes, full of eyes, the text says. And even beyond that, their mission, it seems the work that they were given to do on this occasion was to praise God. As you'll notice with me in verses 7 and 8, these four creatures, it says, they rested not day and night, but rather they said, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Sometimes in this world in which we live, it can be a tempting thing to lose sight of the greatness and the glory and the majesty of God. Often His name is taken in vain. Images or pictures that are given of Him trivialize Him or at least remove from Him some of the glory that the Scriptures detail for Him. And yet John here, in fact, among many lessons, one of them should be a reminder to all of us to never lose sight of just how glorious and just how great and how awesome God is. He is not likened to man in any way. He's far above us in every regard. He is the one who is eternal. We read, do we not, in the 90th Psalm, from everlasting to everlasting thou art God, Psalm 90 verse 2. We also read in Isaiah 46 that He is able to explain and in fact to set forth not only to the end but also back to the beginning everything that has ever been or that ever will be. His knowledge is complete. He is perfect in so many ways. And John here sees this glorious set of perfecting ideas that surround and help us appreciate the grandeur and the truly jubilant nature of this throne in heaven. When those living creatures praise God, we notice the 24 elders proceed to fall down, worship as well, and cast their crowns. It was a scene of glorious worship, wasn't it? A scene reminiscent of how special and how honorable the act of worship is in any age. Isn't it a shame then today when there are individuals who in fact cease or fail to appreciate just how special worship is? 
they come in and seemingly make nothing of it, think nothing of it, give little thought to it, and proceed on their way when the worship ends. Worship is a magnificent thing, and it is a glorious privilege. No wonder how special it is when we should desire and long to be present when the saints meet. It, in fact, is a sadness on our part when we purposefully absent ourselves from the meeting of the saints. In Hebrews 10.25 there, the salient statement still reads as, as follows, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Isn't it remarkable to appreciate just how special the worship is here described? And yet, the last two verses take us to one other lesson. In verses 10 and 11, especially emphasizing verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive honor and glory and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Among the particular matters listed is reasons for worship. Creation was the one here highlighted. And isn't it today a tragedy of great proportion when there are individuals, and they now number in the many, who will attribute the creation to chance, to evolution, to magic, or to something else. When here in Revelation 4.11, we are taught that one of the reasons why the greatness of God is to be appreciated so much, and one of the reasons as to why He is worthy of our worship, is the act of creation. He spoke things into existence as detailed in Genesis, and today it still stands in existence due to the upfront and character of His power, upholding it all by the nature of His being, Hebrews 1, verses 2 and 3. Thus, when it says, For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they were and are created. The majesty and glory of that creation. May we not forget the scene now that John saw. The throne, the elders surrounding it. Furthermore, the nature of those four beasts, those four living creatures. And now, chapter 5 picks up exactly where that one ended taking us into what else transpired in the remarkable scenes of this chapter. In looking into chapter 5, I would ask that, again, the Scriptures were divided into chapters not by God, but rather by members of the human family. And so verse chapter 5 begins exactly like this, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much." because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth unto all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of saints. 
And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us unto God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. The scene, as it's continuing its description, maybe again it would be worthwhile to at least rehearse a bit of that which we've seen and use accompanying pictures, at least at the appropriate times in our study. First of all, verse 1 begins by reminding us, that John saw in the right hand of the one on the throne a scroll. This scroll, as it's here described, was written on both sides and sealed with seven seals, reminding us of the greatness and completeness of what was here contained in it. Notice, written on both sides, and thus it was a full exposition of all that was the revelation of God on this particular point and subject. And beyond that, we notice at verse 2 the proclamation of this strong angel. And didn't the angel have a good question? Who, he said, is worthy? Verse 2, to open the book and to loose the seals. Even the angel had an interest that was piqued in regard to opening it and revealing its content so that it could be known not only to they, but also to others. Who is worthy? It took a special individual, a special being, if you will, to be worthy enough to open this book. No one on earth or in the sea or under the earth was found worthy, according to verse 3. At this point, isn't it amazing, in verse 4, John began to weep. It's almost as though the curtain was closing before ever it had begun. John wept, for no one was found worthy to open the seals, even to look upon the book. However... One of the elders said something to John, and wasn't it a very touching statement that this elder made? Verse number 4 and 5. One of the elders in verse 5 said, Weep not. Why was John not to weep? Why was he not to be overcome with grief? And the answer was this. The lion, L-I-O-N, of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed. He was found worthy to take the book, to look upon it, to loose the seals and to reveal its contents. One was found worthy. And you'll notice in verse number 5, immediately after making reference to this lion of the tribe of Judah, that takes us remarkably. The next verse, rather than a lion being present, John said, when I looked, I saw a lamb. What previously was described as a lion by the elder is now a lamb. And we immediately as our students have been studying on Sunday afternoons and Wednesday evenings, they've been reminded of how often the lamb seems to occur. 
and the message and the wording in the book of Revelation, the Lamb. In John 1, 29, there the Apostle John on that occasion, as he wrote for us, we find the words of John the Immerser, John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This Lamb of God, we have the following description in verse 6. He was the one, it says, that was slain, but of course was alive again. He was the one in verse number 6 that we read of, having seven horns and seven eyes. As you can perhaps appreciate the imagery that associates to that. Here again is an artist's picture that perhaps can help us at least remember a bit about this. We immediately see a scroll in the right hand. And we also notice that there's a lamb in appearance and in presence. And that's what John says that he saw. And as we appreciate that description in verses 6 and following, this one, this lamb, went and took the book out of the right hand of the one on the throne. And when he had taken the book, verse number 8 tells us, some other things began to take place. There was resultant praise, adoration and glory, if you will. And furthermore, we readily know that the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. They recognized the occasion of greatness falling before the Lamb that had taken the book. And we also notice, mention made in verses 8 and 9, that they sung a new song. We shall in fact see other references to the song as the book of Revelation goes onward. They sung a new song. As we notice, it says, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, verse 9, For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and also nation. The glorious song of redemption, the worthiness of the Lamb for having made redemption possible, the opportunity of forgiveness. What a glorious anthem that is sung in Revelation chapter 5. How sorrowful our state would be if He hadn't come to this earth and in fact executed the wonderful plan of salvation. We all would be lost for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 And the wages of sin indeed is death. Romans 6.23 Thanks be unto God of course for His unspeakable gift. 2 Corinthians 9.15 He came. The Lamb in fact, the Lamb of God shed His blood redeeming us Offering that opportunity whereby we, of course, can be saved. As we begin to see further, verses 11 and 12, John saw and heard other things. It says, And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the elders as well as the living creatures. And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. We notice many, many others in presence. And that takes us back in a way to that earlier slide that we had seen. Though we did not lay much emphasis on it then, you'll notice in that previous picture in addition to the 24 elders and in addition to the four living creatures, notice the host of others present all around and surrounding the character of the throne that reminds us of that great and great host of angels that's here present. Continuing back to our previous slide where we had reached earlier, we notice that the scene reaches verse number 13. Every creature 
which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. The anthem here seems to have in mind the greatness and the marvelous blessing that all of us enjoy, and they of course as well, from the very presence of the Father and the presence of the Son. Did you notice the anthem of verse number 12? That was the lesson text for our lesson this evening. Among the things that were said, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. The Lamb is worthy. That Lamb that took the book out of the right hand, the one that was found worthy to loose the seals and to release the contents, the one that's here so greatly praised by the host, it was, he was worthy. And today, isn't it a tragedy when the Savior is so often disrespected? Sometimes in language, individuals will take His name in vain. They will in fact often besmirch His character, call into question the reality of His existence, and call into question the church for which He died, believe it or not. And so it is that as His character is treated so lightly in some ways, May we never forget the anthem of Revelation 5.12 and the glorious news about how worthy He is to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and glory and honor and blessing. For in fact, that greatness and honor is worthy to be given to Him. We looked most recently at some of the features about that picture Here's a picture in addition that reminds us of one of the scenes described in the course of these chapters as well. It's a picture in which the crowns, as they fell to worship the crowns that, that would take off their head and cast before the worthiness of those present. Amazing, isn't it, to keep in mind just how solemn this scene is. And John was privileged to see it. And John was privileged to write it for you and me also to appreciate as they cast those crowns, what a scene of adoration and worship to the Father and, of course, to the Lamb. All of those things bring us to some observations as well, continuing in the fifth chapter. We've looked at the nature of the Lamb, that He took the book and was found worthy to loose the seals and open its contents. The final scene, as we appreciated on this occasion is a final scene that might be described like this. This, of course, was a scene that John saw in heaven. It's not to be used as a pattern for your worship and mine today, for example, in the sense that we here see a number of things. Are you and I to come up with living creatures to put in our worship? Are we to come up with harps, for instance, mentioned on one occasion in verse 8? Are we to, in fact, specifically take this as a literal pattern for some of the things? It is, in fact, a reminder of the greatness of God in the Lamb, the absolute marvel and wonder of what was yet to come in the book of Revelation. We certainly should all stand in great respect for the God of heaven and appreciate how special worship is. But John saw these things not as a pattern for our worship today, but that which was occurring on that occasion and might we close our lesson this evening with this realization out of this chapter. No one was found worthy to take that book, to even look upon it. No one was found worthy to loose the seals. 
No one was found worthy to open it except one. And that, of course, was the Lamb. That Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, that was in the next verse described as the Lamb. And we understand, of course, that Lamb is the Son of God, the one who shed His blood for us. He was found worthy to loose the seals. What might be an interesting lesson that we can take from that even this day? The lesson might well be this. Without Jesus in history, it really has no coherent meaning. From the dawn of the Garden of Eden until today, if you remove Christ from history, take Him out of the scene of the ancient Old Testament era, take Him out of the first century scenes of the early New Testament era, take Him out of your life and mine today, there is not to be found a sense of meaning. But yet with Him in place, we see the message of the Old Testament. It was singularly this, He is coming. The one prophesied, the one that was the branch of the book of Jeremiah, the one who would in fact crush the power of the devil by crushing his head, Genesis 3.15. He's coming. He's coming. Every writer, it seems, of the Old Testament powerfully asserted and shouted, He is coming. And then as the New Testament opens, He came. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John testify that that one prophesied of so often had come and He was just as special and glorious as they had ever indicated. He taught, He lived, and He of course died. And all the while He stated He would build His church and that He did. Coming into existence in the second chapter of Acts and thus we still find the central features of meaning come by putting Jesus in the proper place. It's almost as if without the Christ, there's a piece missing to the puzzle. It all doesn't fit together quite right. But yet with Jesus in place, almost as if He is a hub, and all the spokes surround it appropriately, He puts all the things fitting nicely in place. Wasn't it Paul who to the Colossians said something like that in Colossians 1? It is on this occasion we might notice as the centerpiece of the Old Testament message, the centerpiece of the New Testament message, and He must be the centerpiece of your life and mine today. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We're reminded that in Matthew 6, 33, and a reminder of Colossians 1, verses 1 through, verse, Colossians 3, verses 1 and following, would tell us, Seek first... Those things above. It is with all of that in mind, the anthem of praise of Revelation 4 and 5 has reminded us that the scene is now set for the loosing of the seals. And they shall begin in chapter 6. But we now have in mind a vision of the one who is going to do the loosing and how worthy he is to do the loosing and how great is his position to be counted worthy to do the same. As he begins to loose these seals one by one, and as the trumpets later shall sound, and as the various other features of the book, may we never forget that the one behind this and the one who had the power to loose the seals is the one of whom we've read tonight, the one worthy to take the book and to loose those seals one at a time. Tonight, as we close this lesson, looking at some of the things that we have seen, here are some thoughts that we might use to conclude our thoughts this evening. We've looked, of course, at Revelation chapters 4 and 5, and because John saw the open door in heaven, we have been privileged to also see what he saw. 
because He wrote it for us. And what a scene of adoration and what a scene of exalting worship and praise. And as we saw all of it, we have been introduced to a book sealed seven times. It shall play a big role in the chapters that follow all the way through the end of chapter 11. As the elements of the seals are loosed and one by one the things are revealed, how often we'll remember the greatness of the one who is revealing it. The closing thought of the lesson tonight from verse 12 of Revelation 5, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. This evening, how does your life mesh with the centrality of Jesus? To this point, is He just a sidelight, a distant figure? You know that He lived and you know that He died, but you really haven't built your life around Him. Let us not forget Revelation 5. He was the one that was worthy to take the book. And only He was worthy. You and I can't make it to heaven on our own. He paid the price for us and we must live faithfully following His commandments. And only by the shed blood of the Savior and our faithful obedience there to His commandments shall we enter into those golden, beautiful gates forevermore. Tonight, if you haven't been faithfully obedient to those commandments... If Jesus hasn't been important enough in your life, change that tonight. Repent. Confess those errors. Come back to your first love if that's the need in your life. It might well be, though, that you've never become a Christian. Maybe after reading or hearing chapters 4 and 5 of the Revelation, you have a renewed appreciation of what you need to do tonight. You need to obey the gospel plan of salvation. You need to have full belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Repent of the sins in your life. Confess His great name as the Son of God and be baptized simply for the remission of your sins. We tonight could assist in accomplishing that and it would be our pleasure to do so. If there could be any way that we might assist one in the audience tonight, this would be an appropriate time, a convenient time. And we would urge you to let those needs be known if you would. While together we stand and while we sing.